0: A week had passed since they had made acquaintance. It was a holiday. It was sultry indoors while in the street the wind whirled the dust round and round and blew people's heads off. It was a thirsty day and Gurov often went into the pavilion and pressed Anna to have syrup and water or an ice. One didn't know what to do with oneself. In the evening when the wind had dropped a little they went out and the groaned to see the steamer come in. There were a great many people walking about the harbor. They had gathered to welcome someone bringing bouquets. And two peculiarities of well-dressed Yalta crowd were very conspicuous. The elderly ladies were dressed like young ones, and there were a great number of generals. Owing to the roughness of the sea, a steamer arrived late after the sun had set, and it was a long time turning about before it reached the groin. Anna looked through her lorgnette at the steamer and the passengers, as though looking for acquaintances, and once she turned to Gurov her eyes were shining. She talked a great deal and asked disconnected questions, forgetting next moment what she had asked. Then she dropped her lorgnette in the crush. The festive crowd began to disperse. It was too dark to see people's faces. The wind had completely dropped, but Gurov and Anna still stood as though waiting to see someone else come from the steamer. Anna was silent now and sniffed the flowers without looking at Gurov. The weather is better this evening, he said. Where shall we go now? Shall we drive somewhere? She made no answer. Then he looked at her intently and all at once put his arm round her and kissed her on the lips and breathed in the moisture and the fragrance of the flowers. And he immediately looked round him, anxiously wondering whether anyone had seen them. Let's go to your hotel, he said softly, and boss walked quickly. The room was close and smelled of the sand she had bought at the Japanese shop. Gurov looked at her and thought, what different people one meets in the world. From the past he preserved memories of careless, good-natured women who laughed cheerfully and were grateful to him for the happiness he gave them, however brief it might be, and of women like his wife, loved without any genuine feeling, with superfluous praises, affectedly and hysterically, with an expression that suggested that it wasn't love nor passion but something more significant, and of toward three others, very beautiful, cold women, on whose faces he had caught a glimpse of a rapacious expression and obstinate desire to snatch from life more than it could give, and this were capricious, unreflecting, domineering and unintelligent women, not in their first youth, and when Gurov grew cold to them, their beauty excited his hatred, and the lace on their linen seemed to him like scales. But in this case there was still the diffidence, the angularity of inexperienced youth, an awkward feeling, and there was a sense of consternation as though someone had suddenly knocked at the door. The attitude of Anna, the lady with the dog, to what had happened was somehow peculiar, very grave, as though it were her fall, so it seemed, and it was strange and inappropriate. Her face dropped and faded, and on both sides of it her long hair hung down mournfully. She mused in a dejected attitude like the woman who was a sinner in an old-fashioned picture. It is wrong, she said. You will be the first to despise me now. There was a watermelon on the table. Gurov cut himself a slice and began eating it without haste. There followed at least half an hour of silence. Anna was touching. There was about her the purity of a good, simple woman who had seen little of life. The solitary candle burning on the table threw a faint light on her face, yet... It was clear that she was very unhappy. How could I despise you? asked Gurov. You don't know what you're saying. God forgive me, she said, and her eyes filled with tears. It is awful. You seem to feel your need to be forgiven. Forgiven? No, I'm a bad low woman. I despise myself and don't attempt to justify. It's not my husband, but myself I have deceived, and not only just now. I have been deceiving myself for a long time. My husband may be a good, honest man, but he is a flunky. I don't know what he does there, but I know he's a flunky. I was twenty when I was married to him. I've been tormented by curiosity. I wanted something better. There must be a different sort of life, I said to myself. I wanted to live. I was fired by curiosity. You don't understand it, but I swear to God, I could not control myself. Something happened to me. I could not be restrained. I told my husband I was ill and came here. I hear I've been walking about I were days like a mad creature, and now I've become a vulgar, contemptible woman whom anyone may despise." Gura felt bored already, listening to her. He was irritated by the naive tone by this remorse so unexpected in fortune, but for the tears in her eyes he might have thought she was just in you know, playing a part. "'I don't understand,' he said softly. "'What is it you want?' She hid her face on his breast and pressed close to him. Believe me, I beseech you, she said. I love a pure, honest life, and sin, is loathsome to me. I don't know what I'm doing. Simple people say, the evil one has beguiled me. And I may say of myself now that the evil one has beguiled me. Hush, hush, he muttered. He looked at her fixed, scared eyes, kissed her, talked softly and affectionately, and by degrees she was comforted and her gaiety returned, they both began laughing. Afterwards, when they went out, there was not a soul on the seafront. The town with its cypresses had quite a death-like air, but the sea still broke noisily on the schnor. A single barge was rocking on the waves, and a lantern was blinking sleepily on it. They found a the cab and drove to Arianda. I found out your surname in the hall just now. It was written on the board. Von Dideritz, said Kurov. Is your husband a German? No, Anna said. I believe his grandfather was a German, but he is an Orthodox Russian himself. At Arianda they sat on a seat not far from the church, looked down the sea and were silent. Yalta was hardly visible through the morning mist. White clouds stood motionless on the mountain tops. The leaves did not stir on the trees grasshoppers chirruped and the monotonous hollow sound of the sea rising up from below spoke of the peace of the eternal sleep awaiting us. So it must have sounded when there was no Yalta, no Arianda, so it sounds now, and it will sound as indifferently and monotonously when we are all no more. And in this constancy, in this complete indifference to the life and death of each of us, there lies hid, perhaps, a pledge of our eternal salvation, of the unceasing movement of life upon Earth, of unceasing progress towards perfection. Sitting beside a young woman who, in the dawn, seemed so lovely, toothed and spellbound in these magical surroundings, sea, mountains, clouds, open sky, Guru thought how in reality everything is beautiful in this world when one reflects everything except what we think or do ourselves when we forget our human dignity and the higher aims of our existence. A man walked up to them, probably a keeper, looked at them and walked away. And this detail seemed mysterious and beautiful, too. They saw a steamer come from Theodosia with its lights out in the glow of dawn. There's dew on the grass, said Anna after silence. Yes, It's time to go home," he said. They went back to the town. Then they met every day at twelve o'clock on the seafront, lunched and dined, went for walks, admired the sea. She complained that she slept badly, that her heart throbbed violently, asked the same questions, troubled now by jealousy and now by the fear that he did not respect her sufficiently. And often in the square of gardens, when there was no one near them, he suddenly drew her to him and kissed her passionately. Complete idleness. These kisses in broad daylight, while he looked round in dread of someone seeing them, the heat, the smell of the sea, and the continual passing to and fro before him of idle, well dressed, well fed people made a new man of him. He told Anna how beautiful she was, how fascinating. He was impatiently passionate. He would not move a step away from her, while she was often pensive and continually urged him to confess that he did not respect her, did not love her in the least, and thought of her as nothing but a common woman. Rather late, almost every evening they drove somewhere out of town, to Arianda or to the waterfall, and the expedition was always a success. The scenery invariably impressed them as grand and beautiful. They were Expecting her husband to come, but a letter came from him, saying that there was something wrong with his eyes, and he entreated his wife to come home as quickly as possible. Anna made haste to go back. It's a good thing I'm going away, she said to Gurov. It is the finger of destiny. She went by coach and he went with her. They were driving the whole day. When she had got into the compartment of the express and when the second bell had rung, she said, let me look at you once more, look at you once again. That's right. She didn't shed tears, but was so sad that she seemed ill, and her face was quivering. I shall remember you. I will think of you, she said. God be with you, and be happy. Don't remember evil against me. We are parting in forever. It must be so, for we ought now to have met. Well, God be with you. The train moved off rapidly, its lights soon vanished from sight, and a minute later there was no sound of it, as though everything had conspired together to end as quickly as possible. That sweet delirium, that madness. Left alone on the platform and gazing into the dark distance, Gurov listened to the cheer-up of the grasshoppers and the hum of the telegram fires, feeling as though he had only just waked up, and he thought, musing, that there had been another episode, or adventure in his life, and the two was at the end, and nothing was left of it but memory. He was moved, sad, and conscious of a slight remorse. This young woman, whom he would never meet again, had not been happy with him. He was genuinely warm and affectionate with her, but yet, in his manner, his tone and his caresses, there had been a shade of light irony, the coarse co of a happy man who was, besides, almost twice her age. All the time she had called him kind, exceptional, lofty, obviously he had seemed to her different from what he really was, so he had unintentionally deceived her. Here at the station was already the sound of autumn, it was a cold evening, it's time for me to go north, so Gurov as he left the platform, high time.